0: Hi, I am Tengen, and this is the Parents in Tech Podcast. Welcome to Season 2, where we interview dads who are technology company leaders based in Southeast Asia. After hearing from moms in Season 1, now it's time to speak to dads who are raising kids while striving in their careers. Let's find out the stories, challenges, and advice they have for us. In this episode, we speak to Joshua, Regional Director at Chainalysis. Prior to joining Chainalysis, he spent 18 years in the IT and cybersecurity space, managing infrastructure and security teams in the Singapore government, before moving to the private sector as the sales director for FireEye, RSA, and Carbon Black VMware. Joshua is the father of four children, two daughters and two boys. They are age 19, 16, 15, and 11. Hey Joshua, welcome to the Parents in Tech Show. Thanks for joining us. To begin with, can you tell us a bit more about your family? Sure, thanks Tingnan uh, for inviting me on this podcast. Well,
1: I'm a family of six, so I do have four kids. Uh, I'm pretty old already. My eldest is 19, and then I have a 16-year-old, 15-year-old, and a 11-year-old. And they are girl, boy, girl, boy. So pretty easy to remember that. So I'd be really blessed to have a big family and have the enjoyment of watching them grow up and interact amongst each other.
0: Wow, wonderful. Okay, I'm going to go into so much of that because that's so interesting. You are the first parent on the (laughs) call who has more than two kids. That's amazing. Take us back, Mm. perhaps. How did you and your wife first meet? Well, we met at a
1: church camp, actually. We always tell this story where I grew up in Mm. the West and she grew up in the East. And somehow we met, the camp was up north. Yep. And right now we are staying somewhere in the south. So we have been, <laughs> been around <laughs> Singapore. We met in a church camp. You know, she really caught my eye. We were about, I guess, 20 then. And so we hit it off. At that point in time, there was not really mobile phone. So it was email. And actually the first movie that we went to watch was uh, You've Got Mail. Mm. And I remember it very fondly. We had dinner at Marche at Heeren. There used to be a... <laughs> so you, can, yeah. you can count the timeline, right? Then uh, <laughs> And then we watched the movie at inelisia ah. And that was, I guess, the, the beginning of our courtship. And then we got married pretty early. She was 23, I was 24. Mm. I just graduated. But we just felt that we were ready to, to start our journey together. And one year later... We actually had our first daughter, Lorraine. I was 25 and she was 24. But, you know, we were ready. We obviously had a good discussion on whether we were ready to be parents. And we felt that, you know, we wanted to start early while we had the energy and the time, I guess. Mm -hmm. We were prepared. And Lorraine came along shortly after and she was really a blessing Mm -hmm. to us. We thoroughly enjoyed watching her grow up. All along, we had a great love for kids. So we would bring our friends, daughters or sons out while we were dating. It came pretty naturally for us. Yes. And from then on, yes, more kids came along. Obviously, being young parents, there were definitely challenges along the way. But I guess we learn along the way we communicate. And now we are very much at a very nice place in our life where they are much older. It's a different set of challenges. But you know, at least physically, we're not tired out because I have friends my age that are just starting and (laughs) they're changing diapers and waking up late in the night. We are not
0: there anymore. (laughs) (laughs) I can completely imagine how, what a relief that must be. Okay, so much to unpack over there, but let's start with the number of children. What did conversations look like between you and your wife when determining how many children you guys would like to have?
1: I guess a lot boils down to our faith. So we are both Christians. We're not Catholics, but we are Christians. We just kind of, at the very beginning in our conversation, say we're going to let God to decide. Mm -hmm. So there wasn't really a discussion on how many Mm -hmm. that we wanted. We knew we wanted more than two, definitely. So when we had number three, we thought, okay, it's a good number and we didn't Mm -hmm. expect anything more. But then number four came along and obviously it was a big shock for us, really, because we thought at that time, our number three was about four years old. So pretty much older now and it's like... It's like stabilized. You got past that phase. (laughs) Yes, stabilized. Exactly. You don't have to worry about changing diapers and stuff. So when number four came, it was like, wow, we have to start all over again. And we were obviously uncertain in terms of finances and how we're going to cope. But, you know, number four came along and he was such an easy baby to look after, such a joy. And then we felt, okay, this is the plan, right? God's plan for us. And we really thoroughly enjoyed it. So yeah, never a discussion on the number, but, you know, just kind of a feeling that, okay
0: we thought three was good but then four is better so you know we gladly took that (laughs) absolutely that sounds beautiful no Joshua you also mentioned something that was really interesting I just want to catch on there which is there were of course financial concerns and I think we live in a day and age and a place that it's pretty expensive it can be pretty expensive to raise children especially depending on how you want to raise your children the kind of schools you want to send them the kind of courses you want to send them maybe talk to me a bit more about the concerns you had at that point because also you and your wife were young probably earlier on in your careers. What were some of the thoughts that happened in this regard? When we had our first kid, my wife decided to actually be a homemaker. Mm.
1: So she's been a homemaker for a good part of her life as a parent. She did work from home. She's a graphics designer. So she did have an opportunity to work from home. But in general, she wasn't like really a career woman. So we really depended on my income. I think for us was the fact that we are happy to live a very uh, simple lifestyle. We didn't travel much, but we were happy. As the kids grow up, there's obviously that peer pressure of, oh, you know, you need to send them to the best preschool and you need to send them for enrichment and music, Mm. you know, the whole thing. So we made it a point that we were only going to do so that will not strain our finances. (laughs) we always make sure that the eldest one or the older ones would get to go first and get to enjoy yes. these things. And then obviously as the rest of them grew up, and if we had more finances, then they would go on. So yes, they did have certain classes, but right. it, it never got to a point where we were so pressured that it would strain our finances. We always make sure that it was within the means. And we had to accept that having three kids, you can't possibly send them to all the classes all the time. That would kill us. So... Hmm. I guess it was a joint decision between me and my wife. We're not going to allow that to happen. But instead, use resources that were free to teach them other things. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm a musician myself. So if it comes to music, I can teach my kids music. There's obviously the internet, a lot of things that we can teach them. Yeah. We had the view that while it was good to have, yeah. it should not have any strain on the family or in the finances.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and I think the part about being resourceful, like for example, you already have the music inclination and background. So why the need to send outside when the, you can teach them?
1: Yes, correct. Very importantly, is there's financial strain on the family. It affects the relationship between husband and wife, mm. and that is not what you want, because the kids can see it, they can sense it. They're not in a safe environment. No matter how many classes you send them to, they're just not going to feel that they are in the right environment. I can say that now, having gone through the journey and seeing how it happened, obviously, we have other friends that had challenges, but we just felt that this was the way we wanted to go about it.
0: Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so you have been a dad for nearly two decades. What is perhaps one of the most challenging experiences you've been through? The fact that every kid
1: is different. So I've had the privilege to have four and then to really confirm the notion Mm. that every kid is different and therefore your job as a parent is to really groom them in their own path, in their own strength, their own personalities. Uh, I can tell you like I have four kids, two of them are strong academically and the other two are very strong artistically in a creative nature. And so again, it's that pressure. Oh, you know, everyone has to do the same type of scores in school. And we felt that, no, that's not the way because we can see they obviously have different strengths. And so we want to make sure that we identify that early and make sure that they are confident in their own strength. So we always have conversations. Obviously, the two who do better in school, Hmm. they kind of say, oh, yeah, you know, I did better and everything. We have to remind, you know, the whole family, every one of them, that you guys have different strengths. So we're not going to measure just based on academic results. And so, I mean, today now they're much older. They do understand and appreciate it. And I think those that were not so strong academically, Hmm. they're actually striving in the area that, uh, you know, like for my eldest daughter, she's actually doing very well in school right now in the creative side. So she's in design and she's doing really, really well in that. So I think as a parent in my journey, that was the biggest challenge. I need to identify the strength of my kids and make sure that I'm guiding them in that direction. Yeah.
0: yeah. And this is a question just for myself. When did you start identifying or seeing those signs or patterns that each of them might be inclined in different ways? Actually, you can see it from
1: very young. And obviously, I guess it's much easier to see it when you have two or more to compare, right? <laughs> yeah, uh,
0: yeah, yeah.
1: But you can see that they exhibit different traits, different personalities. My eldest daughter, she's very independent. She can speak well. She's articulate. While my second child, who is a boy, he was really very quiet, but he had such good memory and he was very good in maths. and So different traits as they grow along, uh, grow mm. up, and you can see that, yeah, there, there are certain yeah. things that they excel. My daughter could draw very nicely while my son can't draw for, I mean, okay, he's not too bad, but, you know, he mm. knows he tries in different environment, right? Different. Yeah. Yep. So I think, Constantly looking at it. Probably my advice would be, understand that your kid is going to be different, different from you, different from what you envision a child should be, the path that they should go. I think as a parent, firstly, we need to accept that. As parents, our job is to identify how different they are, what they're good at, what they're weak at, and then help them along so that you nurture the good things in them. And I think, especially right now, in the world today, you need a degree. You know, that's what our parents thinking. everybody got to get a degree. You're not going to do well in life. Yeah, that's not the case. And so we kind of have to make sure that we are
0: cognizant of that, right? We, we remember that as they grow up. Absolutely. I think that's golden advice to recognize the differences and really unlock their potential. But Joshua, on that note, these differences also create avenues for conflict and disagreement. So tell me how does that look like and how has that changed over the years? (laughs) Okay,
1: one of the things my kids do, they like to talk, what they term as trash talk. And they like to disturb one another or you suck at maths or you're lousy in school and things like that. (laughs) There'll be a lot of rebuttals, but you don't have EQ. So there's always this thing about you got... IQ, but you got no EQ, you know, and and stuff all around the dinner table. It's friendly banter. They're just teasing one another. But I think it's the constant reminder to them that, hey, each one of you have different strengths. You do have strengths that everyone has. Mm. For example, they're all musically inclined, but Mm. you know, you do have different strengths. You know, as parents, we try to tell them. So everyone is Mm. judged differently in a sense. So I guess they understand that through repetitive affirmation, letting them know, right? So today, they don't see like, oh, you do badly in school and, and judge like that they just see each other as equal, really. Mm. You have your strengths, I have my strengths, and then they coexist in that way.
0: Yeah, the reminder that it's okay to poke fun at each other, but at the end of the day, yeah, everyone is different. And you mentioned that these conversations happen around the dinner tables. The next question I want to ask is, do you have these kind of practices or routines? Let's say you guys must eat dinner together X days a week. Uh, tell us a bit more about how you bring everyone together because they are also at an age where they start to have their independence, their own schedule and all of those things
1: we used to have a lot of family meals together. There isn't like a fixed day because I guess at this age, they're still at home pretty much. And obviously the last two years, they're stuck at home. But we enjoy yeah. the company over dinner. And firstly, we have a rule that there's no tech. Mm. So everybody puts down their phones, even myself, and we have a conversation over dinner or it could be lunch or anything. Wow! Yeah, And so that has really helped build up the bond. We discuss everything and anything under the sun. And that's kind of been really something that we look forward to, or certainly for myself, I look forward to it, to have uh, dinners. And we have been stuck at home because we can't have more than five people outside.
0: Oh, right. So a lot of family
1: <laughs> dinners at home, we look forward to be able to go out yes. again as a family. Yeah, But if there's any rule, we'll no tech mm. during dinner time, and then we just talk, talk about it. And I try to facilitate, right? Try to facilitate, but yeah. this age now, they can talk amongst themselves pretty much also. Got it. And
0: of course, at the dinner table, conversations would include what's happening at work, I presume. So for you, I'm very fascinated. How do you explain your current job and company to your children?
1: (laughs) Well, they know that I'm in the sales line, so they know I sell things. When I moved away from cybersecurity space and moved to Genalysis, which is in blockchain and cryptocurrency obviously they at the very beginning they're like what is this what are you doing what's cryptocurrency and obviously try to explain and share with them and the interesting thing is they kind of get it because they are not so ingrained in the old technology they absorb new technology oh okay this is a digital currency okay you kind of digitize your current fiat currency they can accept that Obviously, if I explain it to my folks, uh, <laughs> it's kind of difficult. <laughs> um, the thing with young kids is that they are so much into new tech. They are very open to all these new things. So I guess explaining to them wasn't as difficult as they explaining to my siblings or my <laughs> parents. You know, what is this thing that I
0: do now? Yeah. Gotcha, gotcha. With this very successful career that you had so far, Joshua, I'm curious as to whether there are moments where you found it really hard to balance between the two, especially given that, I guess, your partner isn't working, and then there's always this negative stereotype, which I can tell Clearly doesn't apply to you, but this stereotype where it's that the father goes out to work and basically doesn't really come home, doesn't really spend time because it's just out there working, bringing home the bacon, whereas the mom is at home taking care of the kids. I sense that's different for you, but talk to me a bit more about the challenges that you face over these past two decades, balancing and juggling that.
1: Obviously, at the beginning part of their lives, I was pretty much involved. My work schedule wasn't that hectic. So I could spend a lot of time with the kids. I've always been a hands-on dad so I can change diapers, clean their butts. I just can't cook, but I can do pretty much everything else. And I just enjoy them. And like I mentioned, my wife and I grew up loving kids. So I was pretty much involved in their life. But obviously, as I grew in my career, that meant longer hours, traveling, you know, obviously more pressure. And I would say that, yeah, definitely in my mid-30s, I was struggling to kind of juggle work and family. So I really depended a lot on my wife to handle the business. I think it did help that Mm. I had already built a strong relationship with my kids early on. But I guess when I got older, I kind of realized the importance of fathers in the life of the kids. And this is something that carried with me. I read a book. I've carried, you know, what I've learned from that book. And I truly believe that actually the father has a very, very important role in the life of kids, whether is it you're Mm. talking about with daughters or with sons. But, you know, we are, I would say, the pillar that really holds the family together, not taking anything away from mothers. But I think sometimes fathers forget the importance of their role Mm. in the family, not just about making sure they provide the finances. But the emotional support, the, the presence of being there, that relationship that you build with the kids, it's very different from what a mother can provide. And so with that, I've been making sure that even though I work long hours, the time I spend with my kids have to be very meaningful. It has to be very intentional. And uh, I make sure that I talk to them, communicate. But yeah, it's got to be something that you really believe that I need to be there for them. I need to be there for them, not just or oh, making sure their finances for the family, but I need to be there physically. I need to be present in their lives, whether you know it's my eldest daughter or it's my youngest son. You know, I make sure that I have. enough you, have got four, you got to kind of make sure you have time for everybody. Yeah.
0: So you mentioned meaningful and intentional, which is so powerful and important. But perhaps could you distill down to tactically what did that look like for you? Okay, so. For example, if I'm fetching my daughter
1: to school, I want to make sure that I talk to her. Mm. So, And I want to make sure that I talk in a way that it's not like father to daughter,
0: Mm. but
1: more like a friend. You know, Share with me what's happening in school, your friends, what's happening. And and I always try to, in the conversations, sow some seeds. Like I would tell my daughter when she went to a new class, she didn't have her old friends with her. And then say, make new friends. And, And always watch out. For those people who probably like loners or they don't have friends naturally as well, I say, why don't you go be friends with them? In a way, when I have time with them, whether it's driving them around or at the dinner table, just to make sure that it's not just being there physically, but not there mentally or having that connection with them. So talking to them, I go cycling with them this kind of activities that really makes that relationship stronger. So now they are open to tell me things. Nice. They share with me, even my eldest daughter, if she has certain career decisions she needs to make because now she's almost graduating, you know, what causes she should take. I'm very glad that she comes to me for advice. So I guess it's building that along the way, making sure it's intentional, building that along the way. And then you can see the fruits mm. coming. They're more open to tell you things. They share with the things you have loved.
0: They feel very comfortable with you. That's wonderful. And that closeness is something that clearly took years to build up, took years to get right and took a lot of effort. I'm glad that you are sort of reaping the fruits of the labor now. So with all that's happening, your career, having four children, talk to me a bit more about energy and sleep. How do you keep your energy up? Do you get much sleep at all? Tell me a bit more about that. I find myself sleeping less as I get older. <laughs> really like you need to sleep less or you just somehow sleep less or both
1: (laughs) just naturally like let's say if I go to bed at 12 midnight I used to be able if it's an off day let's say Saturday I used to be able to sleep to 10 or 11 now naturally around 7 plus I'm awake somehow the body just (laughs) doesn't need that much sleep anymore but yeah I think sleep is very important especially for young parents who or rather any kind of parent with young kids because you know if your kids are waking up Mm every two, three hours. It's going to affect your sleep, your mental state, then you still have to work. and It just creates an avalanche of issues and stress and strain. So I do advise for parents with young kids, think about how to sleep train them so that they can sleep throughout the night in your own ways. There are different methods and stuff, but it really helps to bring a bit of mental Mm. soundness when you're not struggling with sleep. I think nobody likes to have bad sleep or keeps waking up nobody i've never met a parent who say oh i love to wake up every two hours to feed my kid none yep. you know none but they do it because they're parents but if given yes. a choice they wouldn't so i think that's good <laughs> and it helps to build i guess some time between you and your wife which i also think it's very very important Correct. and i think more important actually than anything else so yeah i guess i sleep really less but i do sleep better now Now that the kids are much older, they're not disturbing us. They used to wake up much earlier than me last time. So they would knock on the door and they are awake. Okay, I got to wake up now. But now it's okay. Now they sleep in. (laughs) If they have to, they sleep in. Yeah.
0: That's great. And earlier, you also touched on the point about creating that space and time to be alone with your wife. Essentially, those date nights, date moments. How do you protect that when you have four children? So this came about, I think maybe...
1: After the fifth or seventh year of our marriage, we had already three kids. And, you know, this was something that we reflected at that point in time. We came to an acknowledgement, which is, again, this is something I do share with a lot of my friends as well. It's the fact that the most important thing that you can do for your kids is not for your kids. Hmm. So it's not sending them to the best classes. It's not sending them to the best schools or or giving them every opportunity in life. Actually, that's not what the kid needs or wants. I think the best thing you can do for your kid is to make sure that your marriage, your relationship with your wife is protected. I do see parents where they spend more time with the kids Hmm. than with each other. They feel that that's their responsibility of a parent. I need to give my kids this and that. And if it means working longer hours and not having that time with your spouse and it affects the relationship. So I think when we realize that, okay, what we are going to do for our kids is to make sure that their parents in love, their parents are in sync, you know, we are communicating, we have a healthy relationship and the kids can see that that's the most important thing that they want. They can't articulate it but you can see it in their lives as they grow up. You know, unfortunately, we are surrounded by families that have been through divorce and and things like that. And you just realize that actually that's what the kids want, their family, their parents, to be together. Because of that, as we go around, we are happy to, okay, kids, uh, you're going to your grandparents. We are going out on a date. Then they'll be like, oh, you know, you're not bringing us. They know we're just Mm. the two of us. Or uh, we'll go for trips, just the two of us, and then ah, you're not bringing us. they like no, yeah. and so obviously when they grow up, and then now they don't question, right? It's not if I if I want to go on a trip, my wife, then you know we just tell them, okay, we are going, and then they get used to the fact that their parents are going to have their own time. Their parents are going wow. to be, you know, that's okay for them. In fact, they I I find that I think that they feel that sense of security again, that yep. safe environment where they, you know they see their parents and they. Actually we use that as well. We test them, right? So sometimes when they are disobedient and Mm. see, oh, you know, you cause daddy and mommy to be upset with each other and we start just quarreling, pretending, right? Pretending to quarrel. And you can see that, oh, they feel very, very uncomfortable and very, very disturbed Mm. that their parents are fighting. Right. Uh, and it's because of that. Obviously, it's staged, but (laughs) you know, we kind of see and we can see that's not what they want. Right. And so they, they change their behavior. Because they don't want their parents to to be against each other.
0: Yeah. Yeah. The impact is so real. I can't agree more. Like you can send them for all the courses and whatever stuff that think it's in the good for them. But exactly right. At the end of the day, by having a loving relationship, you create a living environment where they can really grow and thrive in. And I guess also on that point, right? That's what I'm sure one thing that you had to teach your kids along the way it's conflict resolution, how to manage disagreements. How do you go about doing that?
1: You know, when they were very young, at the very beginning was the three of them. Obviously, they would snatch and they would bite. You know, one of them is a biter, one of them is a hitter, and one of them is just ignore and just move away. (laughs) They have different styles of conflict. Actually, even till today, some are more articulate than ever. And then, you know, so some will just keep quiet because they're not as articulate as their siblings. When it comes Mm. to conflict resolution, it's important for them to firstly, apologize and acknowledge. Maybe they said certain hurtful words, which they thought, Now you're just joking around. But say, hey, you hurt your brother with your words. And so you should apologize. And this is a brother that loves you and he cares for you. So you're making him feel bad. And so I think in that culture of you're not afraid to apologize. And even as parents, I do apologize to my kids as well. When I have wronged them or have been too harsh, I'm not afraid to apologize to them. And so I think that's important that you build a culture to say if you've done something wrong, whether you're a parent or not, you can go and apologize and admit your mistakes. And so I guess there's still conflicts. It's much lesser now because they are older. But yes, when they were growing up, I think just making sure that they do apologize. They know where they have gone wrong. You explain it to them. And then you do it as yourself, right? You set the example that you will apologize to them as well. So they don't feel that apologies are making them lesser than anything. Because even their dad is apologizing. Or your mom, they are apologizing to them. Yeah. So I guess uh, that's what we did throughout the time we were growing up.
0: Yeah. And I think that's such a radical shift that I feel this generation that we're in, it's starting to accept that parents can be wrong. And it's okay to be vulnerable. It's okay to apologize to children. I feel like at least for that one generation older, it's always like the parents are always right. You're the authoritative figure. You don't have to apologize. You don't have to explain. So just really glad to see that shift. You know, Joshua, you come packed full of wisdom. I'm curious, where do you learn parenting from? Do you have resources, books, mentors, or did you sort of figure everything out along the way you go? I've read a couple of books.
1: But I guess it's a lot of, okay, I mean, again, back to my faith, right? So a lot of prayer, learning from the Bible, from God, you know, how to be a good father, how to be a good parent. In the Christian Mm. faith, you know, God is our father, right? So we we learn from him. But also communication with my wife. Yes, We want to make sure that we are always in sync. If we say no, it's Mm. both of us that say no. If we do have issues, we want to talk it through. So communication is, is really key between husband and wife in terms of parenting. So it's not just me parenting, it's not just her parenting, it's us parenting. And so communication, I think it's important. So we learn from that. For us, it has always been a learning journey. We yes. don't have like, oh, this is the way we should parent kind of ideology and, and this is how it is. We're kind of like we are learning along the way and whatever we've learned, you know, we believe, right? Both of us believe, okay, this is the way we should do it. This is mm. what we have learned. This is how we want to do it now. And then both of us agree. And then we, we do it in that way. All the kids are different. You kind of have different parenting styles for each one of them. Some you can, yep. some you can lesser, you know, <laughs> some Chinese say <laughs> actually that is true. You know, there are some things that are also fundamental across all the kids. Yep. So I think yeah, we learn. We want to make sure that we kid- We don't have that thing or oh, I'm the best
0: parent and we have, we just kind of keep learning along the way. Yep. Gotcha. So very much about figuring out as it goes but also taking your inspiration from your faith as well as the books that you read. So let's say I gave you a chance to write a book that will last not just for your children but for your generations to come. What kind of topics would you talk about in them? What kind of things would you write in the book leaving for their children, their children's children, and uh, many generations to come. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Good. I mean, we've certainly
1: learned a lot. So even right now, at this stage in our lives, uh, my wife and I are also trying to help out younger parents, friends that we have, or you mm. know, friends in church, you know, trying to share with them. And, and then really, we're just about sharing what we have gone through, right? It won't work for every single person. Mm. But there are, I guess, certain principles to parenting. If I were to write a book, I guess, you know, like what I mentioned, the first thing is protect the marriage. I think that is the core of parenting. Make sure that your marriage is healthy, it's loving, you're communicating with one another, and you make sure that you're in agreement when it comes to parenting. Mm -hmm. Don't have different views. If there are different views, try to come to a consensus. Try to come to an agreement because that's really very important. So the kids see the parents as one. They don't see it as two, they see them as one. I would give you know that advice and really the the other one would be that the kids are all different. So keep a very open mind on how you want to handle and deal with them. There might be certain principles that remains the same, but the implementation, the teaching of those principles might differ. For example, when the kids were growing up, we never allow them to throw tantrum in public, so no screaming and shouting and crying out loud in public and just reacting out. Mm. So we we were very very stern on this, but how we taught each one of them is different, because really their personalities are different. But we make sure that that principle: you don't throw tantrums in public. But we also make sure we don't discipline them in public. So generally, like if they throw, you know, when they were younger, we would bring them to corner or to a stairwell out of the public side and we'll deal with it you know in private so again the implementation is different but the principle is okay we won't allow this to happen Mm. yeah I guess you know certain things like this is probably what
0: I would share in that book (laughs) and each kid gets a chapter I guess (laughs) (laughs) wonderful okay so this is actually tactical advice once again for myself eh? that's why I enjoy doing this podcast my kid 17 months old she's starting to do the troll tantrum thing in public thing Could you just share how? what are the different ways that you have dealt with this so that I can try and experiment them the next time it happens? Okay, so like I shared, firstly, if it's in public, bring her to a private
1: corner away from the public. Because kids don't like to be scolded in public, and then they kind of react to that. So bring them to a stairwell. Usually, I would do it as the dad. The dad somehow has that authoritative figure that they know and they respect. So I would bring them to stairwell and I would talk to them very sternly. And obviously, you want to do that consistently. So even if it's at home, when she is acting up, then address it there and there as well. And be really, I guess to me, it was to be really stern and, and strict about it. You know, kids learn really fast. They do get the message, but sometimes you need to persevere and just continue to do it until you get the breakthrough. For my four different kids, you know, for some of them, the breakthrough was really fast. They learned fast. For some of them, it was a bit harder. So their personality is like, okay, they're more stubborn. Yeah, I guess, you know, more stubborn, stronger in that sense. They're more strong-willed than others. But as parents, you, you want to make sure that you continue to persevere until it, the, the point gets across. A lot of parents just give up. Oh, my kid is like this. I can't handle her. You know, it's, no, it's not that, right? I guess it's, it's that your kid hasn't gotten to the point of understanding yet you know, and you've given up too early. So kind of make sure it's consistent, whether is it outside or at home, and just press in until, you know, she gets the point. Because because you'll be very surprised how fast they learn. You know, they learn good things. They also learn bad things, but they learn fast. They can can get it. So I think as parents, we just want to make sure that we persevere.
0: Hmm. That's golden advice. Okay, thanks for that. So Joshua, you have shared a lot, but if I can just challenge you as we wrap up today's conversation, if there's one more lesson that you have learned as a parent in tech, in addition to all that you have shared, which is amazing, what would it be? I think our kids
1: truly live in a tech world. They don't know, they've not seen what's a pager. They don't know a world without internet. This is their life. This is normal. They are normal. Um, And so I guess as a parent in tech, understanding tech being an enabler but tech is also being you know can be a disruptor in your life in a sense that you know there are also a lot of bad things around you know that uses tech one thing i would advise is don't shy your kids away from tech because that is the world we are going to live in i mean the world we already live in but it's going to get even more technology saturated talk about internet of things, everything is going to connect to the internet. So there are some parents like, oh, no, too much tech. And then, well, you know, strike a balance, but don't move them away from tech. They already have tech in school. They already have email, Instagram and things. So I think it's more of Mm. teaching them a balance between living in a virtual world with all this technology in place, how you leverage them for good, but how you also try to identify bad tech. Right, things that are happening around in the cyberspace, but also to tell them that you still need that human interaction, no matter what. There's a lot of texting now Yes, when you think about it, but a phone call would actually be much better.
0: Mm.
1: Try to encourage that as well, the human interactions, whether is it with your friends, with your grandparents, with your siblings. Make sure that there's also that human element because I don't think that part is going away even if we were to have the metaverse as the <laughs> next big thing, yeah. you still want to make sure there's a human interaction to that. So my advice would be as parents, especially in tech, appreciate what tech can do, mm. the bad things about tech, and just yeah. make sure that your kids understand how to leverage this technology as they are growing up, but also know the perils of yes. all these things, how to take yeah. caution to tech. I think that's a so important aspect as the world continues to evolve uh, with technology,
0: yeah, I think that's so well said. Right, to be aware, to be conscious of what's going on, to know what's good and bad, to have the discernment and how to adapt to it—that's wonderful. Joshua, it's such a joy to speak with you today. If some of the parents who are listening to this would love to connect with you, how can they best do so? Oh, well,
1: they can find me on LinkedIn. You know, just search Joshua Fu. I work for Channelysis. I'm happy to connect with them and, and share more and learn from them as well.
0: Sure, sounds good. Well, thank you so much Joshua for joining us today on Parents in Tech. Such a joy to speak with you. Thank you so much for having me, Tingen. Thanks for listening to the Parents in Tech Podcast with me, your host, Tingen. We hope you were inspired on how to raise kids and build companies. To catch up on earlier episodes or stay updated with upcoming ones, head over to www.parents.fm to join our community of parents in tech. There, you can also drop me a question, idea, feedback or suggestion. Once again, the website is www.parents.fm. That's all for this episode, folks. See you next time.